as kids, we all knew which house to go to and which ones to avoid. We all knew that on Halloween, there are some houses that give out the best candy, full-on candy bars, and then there are some houses you just, you just steer clear from, not because of a lack of candy, but because of the horrifying images that is emanating from this house. You can see that house from very far away, yes? You can hear it from very far away. Some of y'all maybe have that house in your neighborhood this very, at this very moment. And so one Halloween as a kid, uh, we were out trick-or-treating, and we, we turned the street on that such of a house. And this house was, as you might expect, at the very end of a cul-de-sac. And it was very dimly lit. Like, did they take the lights off of the streets? I don't know how they got it so dark back there. But not only is it dark, they also have the strobe lights flashing. They have the cobwebs. They also have the horrifying music in the background with the, the, the creepy laughter. Uh, you're like, <laughs> who laughs like that? That's not okay. And there's the scre screeches and screams. And anyway, so we walk on that street, and my brother says, Let's go. And I was like, nope, no, <laughs> I'm good. Like, I don't need any of that. Like, I don't need, I don't need any, I don't need like Gordy the monkey coming from out of nowhere. I don't need Pennywise the, the clown just coming and just coming upon me. No, thank you. But what this house had besides all of those other things was at the entrance to the, their walkway uh, was a, a bench uh, with uh, a mannequin filled with hay uh, sitting on that bench. Uh, and he was dressed as Freddy Krueger, and he was just sitting on this bench, and he was that way for the whole month of October, um, just sitting on that bench and just like, welcome, and there was just a barrel of hay in front of him. And the, all of the month of October, driving by this, this house going like, that is just so creepy, and I'm just like, okay, clearly a mannequin, he's been sitting there all all time, but we get to that street, and I go, no, no, I am not doing this, I'm not doing this, and my, and my brother says, ah, don't be a wuss, which is just like how you describe brotherhood for the rest, <laughs> how all of brotherhood works. But I was just like, all right, well, I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch as other kids go to this house and see if it's safe because I do not trust it. Um, and I watch as, as three different groups of kids go up to this house, get their candy, and walk on undeterred. So I said, Fine, <laughs> I still don't want to do it, but I, I'm, I have to go now. And so as we approach the house, everything is a threat, right? <laughs> you're walking and you see someone walk in the window. And you're like, oh, no, no. <laughs> and then the wind blows and a leaf falls and you're just like, ah, ah! <laughs> everything is scary. Um, and so then I walk up to the walkway and there's the mannequin sitting on the bench uh, welcoming us with all the hospitality a, a whore figure can. Um, and so I, 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 I just do one of these things where I'm like, see him sitting there and just like, okay, he's got hay coming out the neck and out the arms. You're like, okay, all right. But I still don't trust him. So I like walk backwards towards the, the house and I get the, the candy from the, the horrifying lady giving out candy. And and just like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And as I walk back, I remember somewhat feeling like, I wish they would have put a little more effort into it this year. <laughs> just kind of a, just kind of going with the flow this year, I guess. And I remember at that moment, as I thought that, as the the man's just the mannequin is just sitting there on the bench, the arm falls, and I just was like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> but he doesn't do anything. As I was like, 
wind, wind, and I kind of lean in, and then I see the chest raise from the, the inhaling, and I was like, <gasps> and then he gets up, and he starts running after me. <laughs> I was like, ah, I knew it, I knew it, <laughs> I knew it, I went home, and this, this, this monster had three kids go to this place undeterred, and he waited for this, this one kid, like, why? <laughs> I don't know this dude, like, it was just, ah. Uh, so the moral of the story is never trust mannequins. And that's the end of the sermon today. <laughs> but no, literally, uh, that's, <laughs> to this day, I don't trust mannequins. Uh, I don't care whether it's on someone's lawn or in the mall. When I walk by, I just kind of do the, the fist clench and the head tilt like, <laughs> you stay there, you stay there. <laughs> just, I, I, I don't trust them. Um, and, you know, it's funny, but um, what is sad is I think there are many here today who see Christianity that way. That they have been burned so badly by another church that even maybe today, walking into this church, fist clenched, clenched and wondering if they burn me, will you? I mean, you as the pastor, like, can I trust you? And I, and I just want to say from, from the get-go, I'm sorry. And I hope we get an opportunity to earn your trust. I know it's not going to happen right away. But I get it that your defenses are up, justifiably. And maybe, maybe, maybe you... Don't just think about it as the church. Maybe you're wondering, maybe you are wondering that about Christianity. Like your, your defenses are up about Christianity in general. And you're just wondering, is this, is this whole thing a setup? Is Christianity just a setup? Is it just one big cosmic gotcha by the Lord? And can I be honest with you? I think there are, there are days, uh, times in my life, even as a pastor, that I find it very hard to trust God. When we see the evils of the world, and you see the evils that happen even inside the church, it, it, sometimes it's very, very hard to trust God in these times. And, and, and we wonder, can we even trust him? And so that's a question I want us to be able to answer today is, is can you even trust God? And I hope by the end of this sermon, there is a resounding, absolutely, absolutely. And so here's where we're going to go today. Our, our, our outline is when trust is misplaced, when trust falters, and when trust is a temple. So when trust is misplaced, when trust falters, and when trust is a temple. And so when, when trust is a temple. Now, two weeks ago, we kicked off this series of Isaiah, as Malcolm said, should be five years long, um, unless we do two chapters at a time like we're doing today. Uh, and, if, and if you're... If you're new, the 10-second recap of this is Isaiah is a prophet who is speaking to political leaders of the day, um, speaking to kings and leaders who typically don't want to hear from him, and so they usually give him the stiff arm. Um, the southern nation of Judah is feeling themselves. They're like, you know, things are going pretty good for us. I don't know about Jerusalem over there. Uh, <laughs> they've got some problems, but we, on the other hand, like, we're doing pretty good. We're pretty prosperous. We're, we're, we're pretty well off. I mean, we got King Uzziah. <laughs> you can't stop us. We got this dude. We can't lose. 
And so last week's message, the Lord says at the very end in chapter 2, verse 22, stop trusting in mere humans. <laughs> and so that, that's the, the, last, the last words we heard from last week is stop trusting in mere humans. And then today's passage comes, which I feel like is an implication of that verse there. Um, and so what we see here is that, is that God's people have misplaced their trust in leaders. And I think this passage reveals two things. Uh, first, the failure of human leadership to do what God's commanded them to do, and thus everyone is now being made to suffer for it. But two, and this is where I want us to spend our time here today, is the foolishness of placing our trust in those leaders, in those flawed human beings, instead of God himself. So, what happens when our trust is misplaced? What happens? God steps in. When our trust is misplaced, God intervenes. In verse 1 of chapter 3, See now the Lord the Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and all supplies of water. So he's going to take all the provisions. But then in verse 2, it says he's now going to take their providers. Uh, the, the first is the military leadership, the, the hero and the warrior. Then their political leadership, the judge and the prophet. And then their religious leaders, the diviner and the elder. And so who does God say, you have put all your hope and trust in them, and so let me help you out, and I'll take them away from you so you don't have them to put your hope and trust in. And then who does God leave to actually fill this void and this vacuum of leadership? Verse 4 tells us that all that's left will be children to rule them. Now, not physical children. Some of y'all are like, yes. Uh, but, <laughs> but military and political and religious leaders who act like children. That's all that is left for us to now guide us into this dark future. And things will then get so bad that there will be such a vacuum of leadership that in verse 6, it says, a man will seize one of his brothers in his father's house and say, you have a cloak, you be our leader. <laughs> Which is really to say, okay, we, we are so deprived of any leadership. If you have a, a coat that kind of looks like what a king would wear, great, you be our king. <laughs> Basically, in our, in our language, it would be this. You have a pulse, you be in charge. <laughs> It, it, this reminds me back to one of my, my favorite kid stories, where the wild things are, where <laughs> you have Max, who is the king of the wild things, but he's really a boy pretending to be a wolf, pretending to be a king, and this is what God is saying about the nation here, that you have little children acting as your leaders. It is that bad, but then it'll be so bad that the mess will be so bad that not even those little children would want to have anything to do with it. And say, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. The world is too messed up. I don't want none of it. And now we have this vacuum of leadership. So that's the sad state of affairs in Judah. We might look at that and go, poor people. But are we any better? Do we have a loaded reserve of qualified, dignified leaders that we could call upon to guide us in 2022. Like, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I don't even know if we have it in the reserve. I don't know if we have it currently serving, right? Like, <laughs> it's wild how much that we tolerate from our leaders. And we say, 
That's the best we got. We'll have these children lead, and one day no one will want to lead. Like, we have people who are tissue thin on their character. And at the same time, we now have church leaders saying, the only Christian thing you can do is vote for those people. And it's, it's so messed up right now that you have to vote for these wolves. Like, and so let me ask this question. How do you know if you've made one of these military, political, or religious leaders an idol? How do you know if you are in, in the same boat as Isaiah here in this time here and you've made someone into an idol? Here's the test. Can they do anything wrong in your eyes? A good test of whether you've made someone an idol is they can do no wrong in your eyes. And even when they do something, they say something, they do something that morally compromises them, and if you join with them by association, you rationalize and justify anything and everything they say to make it okay. We can think of how we've done this, right? Like, we've, that's what happens when we make someone into an idol. We, we, we give them our blind loyalty and say, no, what they say is always the truth. We've made them into an idol, and we've misplaced our trust. Now, this week, it's election time, right? Um, and I would, there, there's a very important election going on right now over the, the governor of Texas. Now, I will not tell you who to vote for. But I do think you should go vote. I do think this is a, a way to live out our mission here of acting with mercy and justice, and especially, uh, especially in this, this governor's race here. So please go out and do that. But as you do that, and as you are passionately talking up your candidate, I want you to consider one thing. As you are passionately, rightfully talking up your candidate, would you willingly choose to say something you disagree with your candidate about. So many times we think that's like giving ammunition to our, our, our opponents. And we feel like, oh no, now they're going to shoot us down because we told them, I, I agree with them on, on these things, but not these things. And they're like, oh. But what that is actually doing is that's popping their bubble of self-protection because they're like, Oh, it's always a war. It's also popping your bubble of making them into an idol. And now we can actually have honest conversations about, hey, there's some good things about this and some bad things about this, right? I want us to be able to have this, this opportunity to do this. Otherwise, we've all made ourselves and we say, no, this person is a God. This person is a God. I worship here. You worship there, right? So let me encourage you to do that because let me just remind us that the people that we've elevated to God's status aren't worth it. They are sinners, we know that, right? But those that usually get elevated into this status have done so many bad things, it's very evident we know what we can critique about them. In Isaiah's time here, the rich or those who are ruling, by very nature of ruling the people, are rich. They become parasites feeding off their people, feeding off the most poor. In verse 14, it says, the plunder from the poor is in your houses. This is who we are protecting. 
people who would steal from the poor and our, and our leaders who would just rob the most vulnerable and take campaign funds and, and give it to themselves, all the while oil companies are making record-breaking $50 billion profits this year. And we all are struggling to figure out how do we pay for gas? Too, too current, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but when our trust is misplaced in people, God steps in. God steps in. And many times when that happens, it feels like our trust begins to falter when God does step in. And that's why we come to our second point here. It can feel like our world is crashing when God steps in and he deprives us of those leaders. Not only does God take away Judah's leaders, the second half of chapter 3 tells us that he's about to take away all of the vanity of Zion. Uh, verse 16 says, The women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, strutting along with swaying hips, with ornaments jingling on their ankles. And so the nation of, of Israel here, of, of Judah here, is being compared to a beautiful and arrogant woman whose attention is solely on her own appearance and her image. And I want you to see the poetry at work here. So the first part is how corrupt the men are, and the second half is showing you how corrupt the women are. And so it's a, a, a big scale picture of saying everyone's corrupt. And so when it does talk about the women and, and their vanity here, I believe it's also talking about the men as well. It's not just a, a gender thing here, right? That this is all, all, of, all of Judah here are corrupt and are straying from the Lord. And so, but the, the picture gives you here is that the essential sin of the male leaders is oppression, but the essential sin uh, from the women here is the vanity gained from that oppression. So uh, uh, the picture you might have seen movies like this, where you have gangsters doing some horrible and terrible things, and then you have spouses or families who are benefiting from all of their, their corruption. And so the wives of gangsters may not themselves be shooting up a street corner, but they're getting the benefit from all of that evil work. And we wonder in those, in those times, watching those movies or hearing those stories, like, how could these people live with themselves? Like, as, as you are reading books to your children, going to bed, and, and you think, how could you then be okay with the fact that, that maybe your husband is out there taking that, that same opportunity away from somebody else, that they can't read to their kids because of the evil that is happening there? It's just, they, they are complicit in this corruption here. But I just want to ask this the question, are we any different? Are we? Is there not something that we hold our nose to that we, are, we, are, we just let slip by that we are okay with in our workplaces, in our schools, in our country? I mean, I think we tolerate evil so freely because we love the perks. The perks make it so easy just to hold our nose and to say nothing. Because if someone says something, then I don't get that. I mean, you, you can think about the Baylor football team a couple years ago, right, when they were winning all of those championships. Um, all the while, there was this abuse and this scandal happening, and we all just covered up. They all just pushed under the rug. 
You said, is, is, is winning a championship really worth it? Let's ask the abuse survivors. Is it worth it? Think about church pastors who, who, are, who are still preaching from their pulpits after the abuse that they've, they, they, they've been accused of, rightfully, who may have been given a, a leave of absence, a paid vacation, that they can just come back in six months. Is this okay? Why would, we, why would people do that? Well, I, I, I know why they would do that. We, we all say something like this. We would say, who would we be without them? Like, our church wouldn't survive without them. Our team wouldn't survive without him. Our workplace, it won't survive without their leadership. And so we let it all go. Many of you guys have listened to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast and, uh, what I really loved about the podcast was uh, the very first episode reminded me that it wasn't just about um, this, this one dynamic leader, Mark Driscoll, um, who shows himself to be just a, a, a giant baby. Um, but <laughs> it wasn't just about him. It was about those who platformed him and defended him and, and insulated him from all of those other accusations and, and, and concerns, right? Um, and so the first episode is titled, Who Killed Mars Hill? Uh, you know, it's like, how did this mega church with over a decade of ministry almost overnight grow to be just this, this force um, that was putting out all these resources and what people wanted to, to do pastor trainings with them and to learn so much from them and, and whole networks were started off of that. They seemingly were so impactful, but then almost overnight, it just dissolved. How does that happen? And the answer the podcast gave was maybe it was all of us. Whose fault was it? And the podcast answers, maybe it was all of us. Maybe it was all of the spouses of those gangsters who benefited from the oppression, which would have been the church itself. And, and, and now your church may not be Mars Hill, but we regularly platform people whose charisma outweighs their character. And we lift up those who insulate, uh, we insulate those who shouldn't be in leadership. And like Agatha Christie's novel, mystery, uh, The Murder Mystery on the Orient Express, Mystery of the Murder on the Orient Express, um, the answer is maybe we all did it. Maybe we're all culpable in that. Maybe it's all of us. And so, if that's the case, when the Lord in his grace steps in, those of us who are in those systems feel like our, everything is breaking apart, right? It feels like our faith is faltering and that feels like the Lord has abandoned us. But what if he hasn't? <laughs> what if that is a sign of his grace to actually step in in those moments? Like we just, we just can't see the whole plan of God even though he might be doing a, a miracle in that moment. Like to the oppressed, God's intervention does not feel like judgment, it feels like deliverance. To have someone who's been gaslit for so long and to have someone else go, I believe you. You're right. It was wrong. That feels like this moment of joy. Right? That someone is actually drawing the focus to the, to the rot at the top and saying that rot needs to come out. 
And so verse 24 sounds horrifying unless we realize how complicit these people were with the rot at the top. Instead of fragrance, a stench. Instead of styled hair, baldness, which was shameful for women. Not for us today, if you, know, if you have baldness. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> God is bringing their ill-gotten... You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> God is bringing their ill-gotten beauty to ashes. And God is at work in this moment. And, but many times in those moments we question, is he real? Is God real? Is this just a whole setup? Does he actually love us when he takes away our best leaders? He took all my money away. <sighs> when he takes my job away. But what if, what if in those moments where God takes away, that's when he's actually doing his, his greatest miracle? I mean, I think, I think many times, like, God in his grace is so at work for you, you don't even know it. And he takes something away. Like, I think when we think someone, when, when something gets taken away from us, we're like, okay, this is the Lord, Lord's discipline on me. And it could be the Lord's discipline because he loves you. But the, the Lord is taking something away, whether it's my job or my, maybe a relationship or a, you know, whatever it was that, that made me feel stable and secure. What if God is teaching you how important it is to lose? We don't, want, we don't want to learn that lesson. How important it is to lose. Now, if my kids got everything they asked for, things could get bad, right? Um, my son Jordan uh, has been asking for uh, a couple months now for us to do a yes day. Does any parent know what a yes day is? It will never happen. <laughs> it is one day where you have to say yes to everything for 24 hours. <laughs> he saw a movie, and the movie shows you how terrible the idea was, right? Uh, it's a terrible idea. It will never happen. Because what? He'll ask for, he'll eat donuts all day. And like, okay, that doesn't feel like a good idea. He'll play video games all day. He'll find somehow to order on Amazon mannequins and put them all throughout my house. And I'll just be punching them left and right. And then we'll bought, have bought in a zoo. Like, that's the only result to a yes day is it ends in buying a zoo. Uh, but sometimes God in his grace helps us lose, right? He helps us go, maybe these things aren't helpful for us so that we can gain something far greater. And so we come to our last point here. Uh, when trust is a temple. What do I mean by that? Look at ver uh, chapter 4, verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. Now, the branch of the Lord uh, is the picture of the Messiah. It's this imagery of the Messiah who is true beauty and truly glorious, not because Jesus himself was, had, was anything to look at, the Gospels tell us, but because of his message of hope and intimacy that he's bringing to them is beautiful and glorious. And then in verse 5, it says, Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glowing flaming fire by night. Over everything the glory will be a canopy, and it will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place from the storm and rain. And so when, when the Lord led Israel in the desert those many, many years, they saw this, this pillar of smoke or cloud all throughout the day, and they said, we're following that. Wherever it goes, we follow. And at night, they saw this, this pillar of fire. And that, wherever that goes, that's where we go. Because what that was was the presence of the Lord. And they call it the Shekinah glory. 
It's what the, 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 the Jewish people call it there. And so what is so beautiful about that is that it is the presence of the, of the Lord. But you couldn't go right up to that pillar of fire, right? You couldn't just come right up to that pillar of fire and touch the Lord. Like, even now, today, if you walk outside and you look at the sun, what's going to happen? You're going to lose your eyesight. You're just going to be staring at the sun all day long. Sometimes when we come in contact with something that's far greater and bigger than us, like, we get, we get blinded. We get hurt because there's, there's this, this great chasm between its awesomeness and, and our, our humanliness coming in contact with that. And how beautiful it is for those to lose, right? We talk about the branch of the Lord, Jesus. It talks about how beautiful the branch of the Lord here is. That when you actually come into the presence of the Lord, instead of it, it roasting and toasting us, because of what Jesus has done, the branch of the Lord, because of Jesus, what he has done on the cross for you, he has taken all of your sin and he has pushed it inside of his hands and he has made it so that when you come into the presence of the Lord, you actually now have the presence of the Lord in you, that you can come together here. He has taken your sin away and he has washed you clean so that when we come into that presence, we are not coming with shame and fear. We're coming with warmth and love. And that's how we, he can say you can come and you can find shelter from the heat. You can find shade from the sun. It's this welcome that is now being given to everyone everywhere. It's a beautiful message in the midst of what is a very dark time in, the, in this country here. Like, and it's, and it's, it's, not a, it's not that you have to now go to this temple that's far off in another country. The New Testament tells us that you are now living temples. That you now have the temple residing in you. And Jesus now got to take up residence in your heart. And isn't that just wild? That even when the military leaders, the political leaders, the religious leaders, all who benefited from those unjust systems, even when they run astray, God doesn't run from them. That God is still committed in this moment. Even us, when we endorsed those leaders and benefited from them, God is still committed to you in the midst of this. And I don't know about you, but when someone breaks my trust, it's really hard to earn it back. Like, if you know me, you know, love always. Grace always. Kindness, compassion, instantly and always. That's something that we want to give. Why? Because Jesus gave that to us. He didn't make us clean ourselves up before he loved us. He loved us, and now he starts working on us and washing us, right? So kindness, compassion, love, grace, always, instantly. But trust. Man, trust is something hard because it's something that's not just earned. It's something, or it's given. It's something that is earned, right? So if someone broke your trust, someone told a secret that you had. You said, hey, I'm going to share this with you privately. Please don't tell anyone else. And they go and tell everyone else it's going to be really hard for you then to be able to want to share anything else with them ever again, right? They've broken your trust. They have to earn it back by maybe you share something else that's not as, as vulnerable and see how it goes, right? This is something that, that when someone lies to you and you go, I don't know if I'll ever believe you again until you start showing that you're going to tell me the truth even when it hurts you, even when it costs you. Like, trust is earned. Grace always instantly, but trust is earned. And so let me ask you this question then this morning. Can you trust God? Did, has he earned it? 
I think many times we, we think about some of the, the pains that are in our lives, and we're like, yeah, but he let this happen. But God never promised that he wouldn't keep you away from storms, right? The storms are going to come. But his promises are is that I will be with you in the storms and through the storms. And has he, has he failed on that promise? Absolutely not. He, has he earned your trust in that way, that he's always with you? I can think of it many times when things were the, the hardest moments in my life. That's when I felt like the Lord was closest, right? That he was with me in those moments. That he is, I can still trust him in that. Now, the, the Hebrew word for trust is batak. Everyone say batak. It's a fun word there, right? And that word there, it means to cling, to cling, to be clingy, right? Now, so if you're in a dating relationship, it's really bad to be clingy. Uh, that doesn't go over well. If you're in a marriage, that's also can be unhealthy if you're very clingy. But in our relationship with the Lord, I hope we're clingy. That we are clingy and holding on to God and saying, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I need you. Please be with me. Be my light. Be my shield. Be my protection. That's what it means to trust in the Lord is to hold on to him and to cling to him. Earlier we read uh, Proverbs 3. In 3.5 it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That word there is to cling to the Lord with all of your heart. To hold on to the Lord with all your heart. And it says, lean not on your own understanding. And so how do you cling to the Lord with all your heart? You have to uncling from your own understandings. You have to take your hands off of and lean not on your understanding of the things that you may have been putting your hope and trust and faith in so far. What is that for you? What do you cling to? I mean, I feel like many of us just cling, well, this is my plan. Not even a five-year plan. This was my plan for this month. This was my plan for this week, and when someone interrupts that plan, I get stressed. I knew what I was going to do today, and now I don't. So is it your plans that you're clinging to? Is it someone's opinion of you that you're clinging to? I feel fine as long as I have their affirmation. I'm trusting in them. And maybe it's not just emotional or relationally like that. Maybe it's more of leaning not on your own understanding. Maybe you say, okay, maybe it's not my own understanding, but I'm going to lean on, on 12 different people's understanding. And I'm going to, here's the problem, I'm going to seek out 12 different people instead of going to the Lord. That's me. And I want to ask all these people, what do you think about this? Lord, what do you think about it? Cling to God in these moments, to actually trust him in these moments, right? That is a hard thing to do. That is a really, really hard thing to do. I mean, even just practically, because we think of it this way. Okay, trust the Lord, but do I lock my car? Can you trust God and lock your car at the same time? Like, do you trust God or do you prepare a budget? Do you trust God or do you go vote? These things are not in conflict with one another. <laughs> like, I personally believe that you can chew gum and walk at the same time. I know you can, right? <laughs> I think we can all do this. I think you can trust God and go vote. I think you can trust God and lock your car and lock your doors at home. But if someone does break in, do you still trust him in, the, in those moments? Or are we tempted to doubt in those moments? 
we can and should make every effort on our end to, 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 to lock the doors, to, do, to apply wisdom. But even in those moments, like when unexpected life events hit, trusting God in those times sometimes looks dumb. Sometimes it looks like you're a lunatic, like you don't even, you're, not, you're not in touch with reality. Like we should be freaking out, people will be telling you. Like when our leaders do fail us and we are bearing the brunt of their decisions, do we still trust God in those moments? I think many times we think of trusting the Lord as, as, as he's going he's to move me across the world. I'm going to you know, leave my job and leave all these things. But many times I believe that trusting the Lord is simply just taking one step and putting one foot in front of the other. Because that's all you have in that moment of like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this month. And all I need to do is trust the Lord and cling on to him, and I'm just going to have to take that next step. And I'm going to have to hope and pray that he's going to provide. And I will pray and I will hope. He will provide that. He will take care of me. Like God, you can only see to the corner, but God can see around the corner, right? God knows what's coming around the corner. And all we need to do is take that next step. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You will not cast all your anxiety on him until you believe that he cares for you. And so do you believe it? Do you actually find hope and, and shelter and shade at the temple of the Lord that he does care for me enough to die for me, to love me? Do you believe that? I, that this is what the, the word is trying to encourage you to believe. Like you don't know, have to know the end of the story. All you have to do is just turn the first page and go, the Lord loves me so I can take this next step. I can turn this page. This is what faithful Christianity looks like. And so as Christianity is set up, Absolutely not. Can you trust God? Absolutely so. And so go back to the temple this week, find shelter and shade, and let's cling to God.